I've titled the message today, Never Lost. And with that being said, Bujo and Thibodeau, they went out hunting one time. And as they were out there hunting, they, uh, they, Bujo said, look, Thibodeau, you go that way. I'm going to go this way because I don't want to get so close to you that we shoot each other. He said, okay. He said, oh. he said but Michelle, what happened if I get lost? Bujo thought for a second. He said, I tell you what you do. You get lost. He said, you just fire three times in the air, and I'll come find you. He goes, oh, okay. So, man, he goes his way. Bujo goes his way. Thibodeau's out there. Man, an hour passed, two hours passed. He looks around. He goes, I don't know where I'm at. So he starts yelling, Bujo, Bujo, where you at? I'm lost. Nothing, nothing. Just down in the bayou, so far down in the bayou, nothing. Then all of a sudden he remembers. Bujo said, shoot three times in the air. So he does. He shoots three times in the air and waits. Nothing. Hours pass. It starts getting dark. So he says, I got to try again. So he shoots some more, three t- more times in there. No Boudreaux. Man, into the night, every, all the creatures are coming out. He finds a tree and he just cries out, oh, God, please help me. Please help me. Early the next morning, he's sitting out in the middle of a field. And there comes Boudreaux in a helicopter and finds him. He gets out of the helicopter. He comes running over. He said, Thibodeau, what happened? He said, I told you, shoot in the air. I'll come find you. He said, no. I shot I like six, eight times, and, I, and you still didn't come. He said, what happened? I told you. He said, look, I finally ran out of arrows, and I didn't have nothing else to shoot in the air. Some of you guys are going to get that in a few minutes. Watch yourself. Uh, today we're talking, we call the message, Never Lost. And so if you're a dad in there, actually, if you're a man in the room, uh, pre-dad even, I have a little gift that I want to give you. I have a gift for you when you go to exit, but this is just a remembrance of today's message. So if you're a man in the house, would you lift your hand? We're going to pass out to you these compasses. Come on, we want all of you to have a compass. And uh, this little compass, uh, you know, listen, we do GPS now. Nobody has compasses anymore. But back in the day, if you ever got lost, or if you were ever out in the middle of the wilderness, or if you're out in the ocean and you didn't know which way to go, you lost your way, you could pull out your compass and it would help you identify where magnetic north is at, how to be able to find your way and get out of the situation you're in. Nowadays we have GPS, but before there were satellites, before there was global positioning, we used compasses. In fact, what happens one day if they all explode and there's no satellites in the, in the atmosphere, you know, watching over us? And uh, how then will we know where to go? So has everybody gotten theirs? Come on, all the men got one. There you go. There you go. All right, so, so look at your little compass, fellas. Unwrap them. And what, what happens with a compass, for you guys that don't understand, which I had to refresh myself, uh, God did something supernatural in the earth. He magnetized the earth. And when you take a piece of uh, magnetized metal... And you float it in either water or some type of ability to float it where it can freely move. Uh, That end of that magnetized piece of metal will always point to magnetic north. It's magnificent. And so, and you position yourself accordingly which way is north. And you can follow yourself, you can follow that heading, if you will, or adjust and go the opposite direction depending on where you're trying to go. And I think that's so cool because what we see in the spirit, in the natural, we see in the supernatural. I don't know if you know this, but God created man and he breathed into the man the breath of life. God put his DNA into humanity. And that's why no matter how wicked somebody is, even if they act like they hate God and they're the worst Satan worshiper in the world, inside of them is God's DNA because he created humanity in the garden. Are you with me? Say yes. And inside of every man and woman, there's this homing device to find God. He put it inside, just like he did on the planet, that there's this magnetism on this planet that we can find, we can always find north, magnetic north, by way of taking another piece of magnetic material and it'll point the direction which we should go if we're trying to find north if you will god put inside of every man and woman this ability to find him to call out to him and it's magnificent how god made us and magnificent how he made the earth and as i jump into this and it being father's day as i study through scripture one of the main roles for a dad for a father is to give direction to the family we see it all throughout the old testament that when god was dealing with the children of israel when he wanted to give instruction he would call the fathers of the tribes he'd call them forward and say listen this is what i want you to tell your people this is what i want you to do with your tribe this is what i want you to do with your family unit we see that even uh, with like a jacob and esau it's illustrated how how the 
blessing from the father would set the course of that child. And they would long for the blessing for the father to speak. And God says, this is over your life. And you're supposed to do this. The power of that direction given by a father. That's a father's role in the family unit. And But what happens many times as a father, being a father, what happens many times as a leader, all of us, male or female, as leaders in the areas that we're in and people we oversee, sometimes we lose direction. We're not sure which way to go. As we look at, at our lives, we probably can point back to times where we were lost. And being lost is miserable. Have you ever been lost before? Is it not the most miserable thing when you don't have GPS? Or when, do you remember being a kid and getting lost in the mall away from, a child, from your parent? Have you ever been out camping and got really, really lost? I mean, years ago, a couple Boy Scout kids ended up lost on a hike. They just they got away from the troop and they got lost and they, and they, and they found them at the bottom of a cliff and just they had died in the night. They had gone off the side of a cliff. And these Boy Scout kids, and, the, and it just, it, it, they talked about it all over the news for weeks. Why? Because the misery, the fear of being lost. And I want to teach you today that even though we may find ourselves at times on the wrong path, that we may find ourselves not knowing which direction to go, that God has a way, come on somebody, where he can keep you from never getting lost. Are you with me today? Say yes. And with that being said, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it's our key verse for today's teaching. Proverbs 19 and 21, it says, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevails. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. Or we could say it like this. If your plans will line up with his purposes, then you will prevail. If your plans line up with his purposes, then you will prevail. Or we could say it like this. My plans plus his purpose equals right direction. My plan, God, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, but I want your purpose. So, Lord, you tell me what the purpose is in this whole thing, and that will equal the right direction. That really is the best formula, as we see in Scripture here, that he lays it out. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord's purpose that prevails. So you take your plan, take his purpose, put it together, boom, you have prevailing, heading in the right direction. Or we could say it like this, my plans minus his purpose leads me in the wrong direction or causes me to to get lost, if you will. As we dive into the subject a little bit more, I want to look at a man who got himself lost. He's a man of God. He's a prophet, actually, in the Bible, who God had a great plan for, a great direction. And the man lost his way in the reference to this direction. We're going to look at the book of Jonah. Jonah is a four-chapter book with only 48 verses. Four chapters, an entire book in the Bible with only four chapters and only 48 verses. In fact, uh, there are there's chapters in the book of Psalms that are three times bigger than this. And so God was making a very strategic statement with the book of Jonah. As he carves out the section of Jonah's life, God is actually trying to teach us this principle that that we first went into, that our plans plus his purpose will equal right direction. Our plans minus his purpose will will end up in the wrong direction or get us lost. And we'll look at that in the book of Jonah. So if you will, open in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, or you can turn on your Bible, or you can just watch on the screen. Jonah chapter 1. And verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, it lines out that the city of Nineveh is a great city. So in biblical times, great city, probably what's transpired here is this city has conquered all the surrounding tribes. They have somehow brought it all into order. Probably been a lot of warring going on. They're probably very prosperous. They probably have real good protections, good organizations, got a great king, if you will. Then he says, go to them because their wickedness keeps coming up before me. I keep, keep smelling the stench on the earth and it's Nineveh. Go preach to them because their wickedness. And he says in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarsus. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord. So he said, you know what, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes, oh, okay, I'm going to Tarsus. Forget that. He went the opposite direction. And, and, and the word actually says that, he, that he, he takes a boat. He goes to find a boat to go to the opposite place. Now, I don't know Jonah's reasoning in this. And I don't know if you find this sometimes true in your life. This story, the, the, the record of what transpired happened after it transpired. Are you with me? Sometimes when I'm in the middle of it, I don't really know or understand that I'm being rebellious. 
Because I'm blinded by my own selfish ambition. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or my own, or my, my own self-awareness uh, of the blindness of what I don't even see about myself. But at some stage after this has transpired, it was written in Holy Scripture that he went the opposite way of what God told him to do. And I'm sure that Jonah had justified that as this sense or this feeling or the word came to him. Uh, in fact, scholars argue about what, why he didn't want to go to Jonah. Some suggest that maybe Nineveh, uh, excuse me, why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Some suggest that Nineveh had been out warring and potentially attacked Jonah's tribe and had killed loved ones. So he didn't care about these guys. In fact, he hated them. Some suggest that maybe because they were so successful that they served demonic forces and there was such a demonic presence that for a man of God, for a Hebrew boy, for a prophet from God, he thought they deserved to burn forever and not have salvation. In fact, all throughout Scripture, the problem that we find with the children of Israel is that they are the solution to the rest of the world. They are the voice of God to the lost and dying. But instead of doing that, they encapsulate themselves and they won't let anyone else know about the truth that they have in the living God. And instead of being a light, they become only, if you will, surrounded. And this is what the church is doing in this hour as well. We say, oh, if you don't look like us, you can't come apart. If you don't act like us, and that's what Church on the Hill is breaking. Like, listen, we don't, listen, God loves the hurting people. In fact, if you summarize the book of Jonah, it's summarized by this concept, that God loves wicked people, and he wants to save their lives. That's what he wants. That's it. You find this in the book of Jonah. This is not a New Testament principle that God wants to save the lost and the hurting. It is not, it is, it's not the new covenant, if you will. God, from the very beginning, has always wanted to save those who are in his image. Us, humanity, if you will. And so Jonah goes the opposite direction. And then look what happens in verse 4. It says, then the Lord... As he got on the boat and got out on the ocean, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This, they get out in the storm. It's the hurricane of all hurricanes. They're all going to die. It's some tragic moment. And so then what happens is the sailors on that boat, they have all these different gods that they serve. And so they begin to cast lots. They begin to, you know, draw straws. Why is the reason that this is happening to us? And they come to the conclusion based on their, you know, and, and, and the way that they do things, their mystic, you know, psychic readings, that somebody on this boat, the gods have, are mad at this somebody we got to find out who it is. They begin to cast lots. And let's pick up there in verse 7 of chapter 1. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. The, the lot, they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Verse 8. So they asked him, Tell us. Look what they asked him. Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Because, you know, we're like, it's on you, buddy. What have you done? Who are you? Where are you from? I, I appreciate you could buy a plane ticket, or I appreciate you could get a ticket on the boat. But at the end of the day, who are you? Because the gods are mad. And look at his response. I love this. Verse 9, and he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. His words are so convincing, and they're in such a dire situation. Now, they're in the middle of a storm. They're in the middle of a tragic, tragic, they're all going to die. They're out in the middle of an ocean, with, in the middle of a hurricane, and they're going to die. They are about to die. And so, as he explains to them, it's my fault, guys, it really is. He continues on, he says, so what you need to do, throw me overboard. Well, these guys are like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're God can cause this storm to kill all of us because you made him mad, we're not going to throw you overboard and really make him mad. So they start trying to row to find a way out of this thing because they can't use their sails because the storm's just destroying everything. And after a, a, a fruitless effort of trying to row their way out of it, they finally like, look, we're going to throw you overboard because we've thrown everything else overboard and you're the only thing left and we're all going to die. So they, they, they pray to his God. They say, um, uh, God of heaven, all right, now listen, we don't mean to do this, but obviously you're really ticked off at this dude, okay? So don't hold us against this because he's going to die the moment we throw him in this water. They're in the middle of, he's a dead man as soon as we throw him over. And that, amen. And they take it in, boom, throw him over. Throw him over. And as you read the next thing that happens, it's kind of cool because in verse 
17, it says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So he starts sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and all of a sudden a fish comes and swallows him whole. He said, man, I have a hard time believing that. Actually, I really have a difficult time believing that you can live inside of a fish for three days. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that two molecules bumped into each other, and here we all are. I have, takes me more faith takes you more faith to believe that than for me to believe that there is a God who knows us and can control anything and everything he wants to. Come on, somebody. And so it's, it's still a matter of faith. It doesn't matter. We're all still trying to believe faith. You say, well, this evidence and this evidence, and then this one says this evidence. But at the end of the day, your faith has to lie somewhere. And my faith lies into the God of creation. You say, well, I don't really believe that. That's right. You're an unbeliever. I'm a believer. That's why we're called believers, if you will. And so, and so as Jonah is in the midst of this belly of this fish. Now, we always say, you know, Jonah and the whale. Uh, there's no proof that it was a whale, but just that's the biggest fish we all know of. It's actually not a fish, it's a mammal. But anyway, that's the biggest one that we all know of. And so we always just shorten it by calling it a whale. For all we know, it could have been some kind of other type of big, you know, fish down there that, you know, we haven't even discovered yet, you know. But he gets swallowed by this thing. And can you, I want you just to picture this. The Bible says he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave for three days in darkness. It's a likeness to what God was going to do to his son, Jesus. And as he's in the belly of this well, I want you to think about that. Our belly of this fish, let's say. First off, have you ever been in the middle of a fish? Just point that out to anybody. Yeah, me either. But I've cut open a fish. That is nasty. Just say. I can't imagine, like, I can't stand it when they're, when they're, when they're you know, uh, cleaning fish. I can't stand it for very long. Ooh, like, oh, that's nasty, right? In fact, I love to eat crawfish and things like that. But the problem with crawfish is you smell like it for, like, three days later, right? Like, oh, my God, man, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you got to put, you know, you got to put lemon oil to get it off of you and that kind of stuff, lemon juice to get it off of you. Can you imagine this guy's down in the belly of this well? What's in there with him? I mean, if it swallowed him whole, what else did it swallow whole? You remember that moment in Star Wars, the first one, you know, when they're down in the trash compactor and that thing's moving underneath their feet? Woo! That's the first thing that happens to me. Can you imagine? He's up here like this. He's like, oh, 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 I'm still alive. How am I still alive? He's not in light. He's down in the ocean. He's in darkness. Things are moving and bumping into him. Come on, that's creepy right there. That's enough right there to do what he did. And let me point out what he did in this moment. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. <laughs> he's total dark. Ah! I'm alive, I'm alive. I can't believe it. Is this hell? Where is this? Where am I at? He's down in this thing. Things are moving. His eyes are trying to dilate, but he's down in total darkness. It stinks to high heaven. Half of a, another fish just floats past him. I mean, there's worms and stuff. I don't know what's inside of him. It's got all the, all the juices, the stomach acids, you know. It starts just, just, you know, just incinerating his clothes and all this kind of stuff. And, man, he's sitting there, and he, can't, he makes a wise decision. In verse, seven, uh, in verse 1, he says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. It's amazing how he became the Lord his God in this moment. It's amazing. Like the old preacher used to say, there are no, there are no atheists in foxholes. What they meant is when they're shooting at you, you start beca- everybody get, becomes a Christian. Oh, God, if you're there, let me live. It's amazing. He's down in the belly of this fish, and he goes, God, I'm, I got to talk to you. And then let's look at how he starts out his prayer. In verse 2, he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Can I tell you something? No matter how far away from God you run, no matter how wicked you become, if you will call out to him in your distress, guess what he will do? Guess what he will do? He says, and he answered me. He answered me. Can I tell you, the worst wicked, rapist, murderer, whatever person, if they call on to the Lord, he will answer them. You say, well, I don't think that's fair. It doesn't matter. He loves all humanity, and he's after that none should perish, but all have eternal life. That's his goal. And so he says, I called to him, and he answered me. He says, in my distress, I called to him. And from the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He's, dry, he's drowning under these waves down in this ocean, and he cries out in his mind and his heart. He's talking about it. And he says, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm in the belly of this well. He continues, to, he continues to explain how he prayed, and he says, and God, you came to me. You took me out of the depths of darkness. You took me out of the depths. He's praying this prayer while being inside of this giant fish. And at the end of that prayer, as we pick up in verse 10, at the end of that prayer, and it says, and the Lord commanded the fish 
and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Onto what kind of ground? What kind of ground? Where did he vomit him? On dry ground. I want you to picture that scene for a moment. You're out there fishing in the surf. When all of a sudden the water starts moving out there. And all of a sudden it looks like a semi is coming up out of the water, getting closer to you. And you're like, oh, you're trying to reel it in real fast. You think, I hope I haven't hooked him. I hope I haven't hooked him. And all of a sudden, it gets right there close to you. You're in about waist-deep water. And all of a sudden, and this Hebrew dude goes flying past you and lands on the shore. And then when he gets up, now he's alive, and he's moving. And he's like, thank you, Jesus. No, he's he not Jehovah. Anyway, he's like, oh, oh, my God, I'm alive. I can't believe this. And when he stands up, now this is a Hebrew boy, so he got dark skin. But he's been down in that acid for about three days. That boy right there is white as a ghost. I'm going to tell you that right now. His clothes are all acided, eaten up, and he stinks to high heaven. And you just looking at him like, what just happened? Can you imagine the scenario here? Here's the thing about this verse. A lot of people say that the enemy, uh, excuse me, that the fish threw him up at Nineveh. He did not. He didn't throw him. God didn't send him back to, he didn't send him to Nineveh. He sent him back to where he started, where he rebelled against him in the first place. Because look what it says, picking up in chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, a what? A second time. Go to the city of Nineveh. How could, he, how could he go to the city of Nineveh if he's sitting on the beach of the Nineveh right now? What he did was probably threw him up back home. That boy went home, got in the shower, changed his clothes, sat around going, I can't believe it. First thing he did was go to the temple. He started repenting of his sins. I mean, he, he made it right with God. And it says, and God gave him a second chance. Can I tell you something? I don't care how many times you've blown it. I don't care how many times you ran away from God's plan for your life, how many times you got you and your family in a bad situation because of a stupid financial decision, how many times you messed over your wife. How many, God will give you a second chance to make it right, to get back on that right path and do what he has for your life to be doing. And when you and I get to the place where we repent and say, God, I've blown it. I'm sitting in this fish. I don't even care. If you kill me, kill me. I'm just so grateful that you spared my life that you heard me in my distress. When he does that, the fish goes, and throws him out. Doesn't throw him out till after this prayer, according to the chapter two. Pukes him out when he finally humbles himself and says, I've blown it, but you've been good. You've been gracious. You, don't, you, you spared my life and you didn't even have to. Boom, lands him on the land. I believe that he goes back, gets all cleaned up. I don't know if it's two days later, that night, 16 days, a month later, a year later. God says, all right, buddy, give you a second chance. Go back to Nineveh. And he goes, yes, sir. And he goes to Nineveh. And when he gets to Nineveh, the Bible says it takes three days to cross through this city. It's a huge city, 120, 120 130,000 people, something like that. It's a huge city. And you kind of get the attitude that Jonah's just doing it in obedience. He doesn't really want, like his heart's not in it, but he's doing it out of obedience. At least he's not rebelling, but he's doing it out of obedience. So he goes preaching. Kingdom of God's coming. You're all going to die. You made God mad. You should repent. Kingdom of God's coming. You're all going to die. You made God mad. You should repent. And the Bible says that they all start repenting. So much so that the king repents. And the king calls a fast for everyone to ask God to forgive them. And what does Jonah do? He gets ticked off about it. Like, you got to be kidding me. And he goes and he sits under a tree. Oh, man, you're going to save them. You're going to let them repent. You're all mad about it. And God comes and speaks to him. And the last verse, and I'm summarizing, the last verse of the whole chapter, of the whole book, God says this. There's 120,000 people over there. I don't want them to die and be destroyed. And I, it's my heart that none would be lost. And how dare you care more about this stupid tree and this stupid bush than you care about the souls of these people and all their livestock and all their life. And it ends right there. That's it. Boop. Stops right there. If it was a movie, we'd all be like, what? That's it? He stops right there, drops the mic. That's what I care about. And you're like, oh, I guess we need to care about that too. How did Jonah get from being, now listen, Jonah's not an evil man. He's a prophet. He's God's man. How does he get in the wrong place, the wrong direction? Well, he rebelled. Did he? Or was he just blinded to his, because of his own frustration? Or was he justifying the decisions he was making because of the way he was raised. Many times we find ourselves in the wrong spot. It's the wrong path. This was the wrong thing to do. 
And we don't realize that until after it's been made, until we've already gone down that street, until we've already, already got the family in that situation, until we've already married them, until we're already there. And so what happens many times is we then look up and go, I'm lost, I don't know what to do, and some of us begin the blame game, it's so-and-so's fault, you blame yourself. And I'd like to help you with that today. In fact, I'd like to give you, I'd like to give you five ways to never, never end up lost. Or if you find yourself lost or in the wrong place, basically five ways to get out of it. I want to show you through Scripture how you and I can always know which way is right and head therein and find ourselves always pointing north and going in that direction. So let me give it to you today. Number one, so how to never stay lost. Number one, recognize that there is a right way and a wrong way. Say, so, oh, that sounds so simple. It seems to be so hard for folks. I could say it like this. Recognize there's a God way and a world way. In fact, the New Testament says it. It says it like that. There's God's way and then there's the ways of this world. And so what's common knowledge for everybody else and what everybody else is doing, the Bible says, wide, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And there are many thereon that are upon it. But narrow and small is the road that leads to life and few therein find it. Look at this passage of scripture in Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. The man wouldn't have made the decision if it didn't seem right. The reason why it seemed right to him is because he was making a worldly decision. Because he had forgotten that there is God's way and there's the world's way. And I would challenge you that the starting point for getting out of a lost position, for getting out of getting off the wrong road, for getting out of the woods where you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't, know what's, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm so frustrated. I'm a Christian. I'm a prophet. I don't understand why I'm so frustrated. The starting point is, God, there's a right way and a wrong way. I've obviously missed it. You've got to start there instead of constantly justifying the way that you chose. Instead of constantly trying to make it okay in your own mind or blaming so-and-so. Well, if I, wouldn't, if I, if I would have had a dad, I wouldn't have had this. Or if I, would have, if I would have been rich, then I wouldn't have done this. Or if this wouldn't have happened. No matter how you got in the situation, the starting point to get out of the situation, if that's the goal, if that's the place you're trying to get, the goal is to wake up one day and say, all right, there's a right way and a wrong way, and I'm in the wrong way, I want to get there. That's your starting point. You say, oh, that sounds so simple. Oh, if only it was. Because to admit there's a right way and a wrong way uh, acknowledges the fact that you may have to repent for choosing the wrong way. I had to say, I blew it. I repent on a weekly basis. Lord, that was a bad decision. I thought I was doing right. It wasn't your way. It wasn't. And I'm just so sorry. That's not what you wanted. You did not want me to try to correct that man because he made me mad. What I should have done is love him, but I, I chose the wrong way. Here's a second truth on how to never stay lost, and that is admit you don't know which way to go. Admit that you don't know which way to go. That's hard for us dads. I'm going to just tell you, ladies, you're, you're all pretty good at it. But for a man, it's hard to admit, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. I'm really struggling. Because, because we carry the pressure, if you will, or the responsibility, let's say it like that, and it sometimes can feel very pressurized to make sure that the kids are heading in the right direction, that our family's heading in the right direction, that, that we're, we're providing. And, and sometimes we, when we make bad decisions, we may know it but not know it and surely have a hard time admitting it. And that's why the second way to really keep yourself from getting lost or come out of being in a position where you're on the wrong track is to admit, I don't know what I'm doing. How much grace would you have on an employee who just went, hey, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so sorry. I'm blowing it. Because we're all watching you going, dude, you're not getting it done. Sweetheart, what's wrong with you? You said on your application you could do this. You can't do it. Best thing you could ever do is say, I don't know what I'm doing. Because I'm only making it worse pretending like I got it all together. Dad, the best thing you could ever do is say to your wife, I don't know how to be a good husband. I need, you. I need help. I don't know. Best thing you could ever tell your kids is say, you know what? I, I know I make mistakes. And I want to admit that I don't always know what to do. I'm, I, I'm, trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to follow God. But I, don't always, I know there's a right way and a wrong way. And I've chosen some wrong ways in the past. And I just want you to know I'm doing my best. I, I just need to, I need to own that. Years ago... I traveled full-time. That's what I did. I went around the world preaching and ministering. And we booked me to minister in Wisconsin in January. 
We're gonna, I was going to be there seven days, and I was going to actually do like seven different churches and conferences and things, and they, they had this whole thing planned out, and I was going to literally go across the, the, the state in a rental car and make it to this and then preach here and then drive over here. And, and here's the problem with this particular year. I don't know if every year is like this because I've never been back since. <laughs> Seriously. It was end of January, and let me just tell you how cold it was. In the middle of one of the conferences, it was at this uh, giant ballroom at this hotel. They were putting on the screens, go out and check your cars because the gas is freezing. How cold is it have to get to freeze your gas? See, I live in the South for a reason. I don't want to be cold. In fact, part of my doctrine is hell's going to be really cold. It's not going to be, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's a misery in being cold. I was like so cold. And so, and so I, I, you know, I finished day three and day four, I had to go two hours away and I'm in this rental car and they, this is before all the GPS and you could punch it in and just rock and roll. They'd given me a map and they gave me directions. So I'm going to drive two hours. The problem is they had, you know, like it, they didn't even have snow anymore because it was so cold. Snow wouldn't come down. It just, it just wasn't. It was just like the ice pole was coming. Now, I don't know what it was, but it was so cold. And I'm passing people, and they're like doing 10 miles an hour, and I don't, I'm from the south. I don't know. I'm doing 90. It's a rental. Who cares? Right? I'm passing snow plows on the interstate, and the guy's flipping me off. Like, I don't know. I found out later you're not supposed to pass the snow plow on the interstate. You're supposed to go behind them and stuff while they clear the snow. And so, and so man, I, I look up, and I've been driving, and I've been trying to make turns, and I can't really see, and, and I don't really understand their frozen sign, and the way they communicate up north is different. And so I end up lost as a goose. Lost. I'm talking about lost. And I'm in a rental car, which is nothing more than a Ford Focus. So, you know, when it runs out of gas, I'm dead. I mean, it's not like there's any insulation in this little metal box. And so, and so I call Jamie, I get her, I finally have reception. She's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Just pray. And so I'm praying in the name of Jesus. I bind every spirit of stupidity off of me and help me find God. Reveal your truth. Oh God, reveal your truth. And I hear the Lord say, you need to ask somebody. I can't ask nobody. Oh man. I can't ask no way. What do you like? Oh, man, I can't, be, I can't admit that I don't know what I'm doing. What's wrong with you? And so finally, into the third hour, I'm like, all right, Lord, so I don't die. By that time, I lost cell reception. Couldn't get Jamie on the phone. So I drive past this little backwoods coffee shop, you know, you know diner thing. And I pull in, and there's a family getting in their, in their minivan. And I roll. I said, well, they won't laugh at me. Because this guy's got kids, and so he, you know, he's, he's not very manly either, I guess, driving a minivan. Well, he's driving a minivan, right? So he's not going to be like, you big daddy. Yeah, so I wasn't going to get that. So I, so I rolled down the window and said, sir, I don't know where I'm at. And he walks over. I tried to show him where I needed to get. And he goes, you need to, and you need, and about five minutes into it, he realized there's no way I'm going to be able to tell him how to get there. So he goes, just follow me, and I'm going to get you to the interstate. Once you get on there, right there, you can go there. I was like, okay, well, I'll follow you. So he takes off, man, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for this angel sent by God. Lord, thank you for the, for the way that you lead us when we humble ourselves, so God. And then all of a sudden, he goes off the beaten path. He starts going down a, dra- a gravel driveway thing down in the middle of a field. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, I'm from the south. You don't get me out in the woods by myself even. I don't know what northern people do, but they could be killing me. I don't know what this is all about. They could be like some part of some kind of, you know, cult or something. They go down through the woods, turns into a dirt road. Crosses, I'm telling them, I'm crossing across the pasture, and it's Ford Focus. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, I literally start cursing them, but not like the way wicked people curse, but like biblical curse. Like, I rebuke you in the name. I curse you with hemorrhoids if you try to harm me in Jesus' name. I mean, I start doing biblical cursings. I'm just like, you will not harm me. I, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I bind the devil out of you in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, we come back up on the pavement, and there's the interstate, and they roll down the window. Yeah, right there. And I roll past them. Like, You're from God. I love you so much. I love you so much. And I made it to my destination, but I had to admit, come on somebody, that I was lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I said, some of you guys, you keep trying to figure out this Christianity thing, and you don't know, like, I don't know why they do this or why. You need to, you need to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Here's the third thing, and that is, number three, you need to ask God for help. I don't know why you keep starting with asking sister so-and-so and aunt such-and-such. Listen, why you keep asking her? She's on her fourth marriage. She ain't going to help you one bit. 
Why you keep asking your coworker who's mad at God, mad at the church about what God thinks about stuff? You ask, ask God. Jonah had enough sense not to talk to the sailors, not to talk, not to text somebody. He's sitting in the belly of that well. He said, "Oh God, help! Help me! I know you love me, or you would have let me drown." God, help me. Ask God for help. I, I, some of you, we, one, one, one of our, our pastors and leaders, we, this week we were just, they had an opportunity. They had choices. And, and choices sometimes is the worst thing in the world. And we're like, what does God want in this thing? Because remember, my plans plus God's purpose equals success. You'll prevail. And so, so we got together. We said, let's pray. Let's ask God what he wants. He's like, Pastor, what do you think I should do? I don't know. Ask me, man. I ain't messing up your life. Ask God what you should do. I've watched preachers and pastors tell people, yeah, I think you should marry that person. I would never tell you that. Did God tell you to marry him? Then you do what God said. If it's not God, I'll say, ooh, I don't feel like God's in there, but you do what you want to do. Or man, I feel, I mean, I feel, I'll tell people, man, I feel something on that. I feel, I feel, I feel a, an agreement with you on that. I feel like God's in that. But only, I'm only agreeing with what God's already told you. This is how people get all, because they won't go to God with it. First thing you have to do is you got to recognize there's a right way and a wrong way. Second thing you got to do is admit that you don't know what you're doing or where you're at. Third thing, you got to ask God for help. Look at Psalms 27, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Look at the psalm that says, teach me your way. I need your help. God, I need you. God, you teach me your way. Because I keep getting us all off in the ditch over here. I need, teach me your way. And then look what he understands. And Lord, you will lead me in a straight path. What's the fastest distance between two points? Say it out loud. A straight line. Straight line. Some of our walks with God, some of our walks through this life looks like this. We're over here, then we're over here. Look, 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 look on the screen. So, so some of us, we look like that. We go over here, and then, oh, man, I messed up. We figure it out, and we come back to center. Oh, man, figure it out. Listen, what he prays is, Lord, teach me your ways, because your ways will straighten out my path. Why? Because the squiggly line, more effort, more energy, more hardship. Come on, with, are you with me? More money. Oh, man, some of you. Oh, you say, listen, I wish... I wish I had been serving God. I wish I would have been serving God when I did such and such. I'm still paying for that 20 years later. I wish I'd have known. I wish somebody would have been a good pastor to me and taught me what you're teaching me now, Pastor Adam, because some of you could testify, because I'm still paying for stuff I did in my 20s, in my teens, squiggly line. All of, you got there, and God redirected you. He got you back on the right path because you cried out for help. But friend, can I tell you something right now? What you and I need to ask God for, Lord, teach me your ways so I can get a straight line straight to, straight to destiny. I don't want to be bouncing all over the place, all over here. I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do there. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. No one ever got lost on a straight road. No one ever got lost on a straight road. You just keep on going. You don't get lost on a straight road. Here's a fourth thing that I teach you to do, and that is embrace what God sends. Embrace what God sends. You cry out to God. You're trying to make your heart pure. You're asking God to teach you. And then all of a sudden, God does something, and you don't like it. Like, well, I was, I was believing God for a better job than this. A job is here. Take the job, dummy. Well, you know, I, I'm believing for a man. He's going to be tall, dark, and handsome. Check. He's going to be rich as all get out. Check. Got your little checkbox going. He's going to love me and be poetic. He's going to write me songs every day. Check. He's even, I want a man who's competed on American Idol and the whole world knows he's sexy. I want a man with abs. I want a man who loves the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. I want a man who can rightly divide the word of truth, who's going to treat me like a queen. And you got all these little checkboxes. First and foremost, that person, his name is Jesus, all right? And you already got him, so... Second of all, outside of that, that guy don't exist. And if he did, the moment he walked up and saw you, you wouldn't be the one. He'd find somebody else. And you got this little old guy who loves you, follows you around like a puppy dog trying to love on you. You look at him like, it ain't good enough, it ain't good enough. Embrace what God sends. Remember the old preacher told that old sermon? You've heard it a million times about the guy. Storm was coming, started flooding all the area. Water came up in his house, and he prayed, oh, God, save me. About that time, a guy drives up in a big four-wheel drive truck. Get in, get in. He goes, no, God's going to save me. Okay, he drives off. Water gets all up in his house, all the way to the top of the windows. 
He's standing out there, and a guy pulls up in a boat, get in, get in. No, I pray God's going to save me. He gets up on his roof, last bit of space left that he can stand on, and a guy, all of a sudden a helicopter shows up, and he goes, grab the rope. He goes, no, the Lord promised me he would save me. He has a plan for me. The guy drowns, standing there before God, mad at God. God, you didn't save me. I prayed, and you didn't answer my prayer. He said, dummy, I sent you three solutions, and you didn't take none of them. And that's what we do sometimes. Well, I'm believing this ain't enough money. It's a job. Take it now. God will do something else as you show faithfulness in that. You won't embrace what God's doing now. Well, I want a better small group. I don't like all these people. These people like you. That's a big deal right now in your life. Embrace it. <laughs> embrace what God's doing right now. I just want, you want to jump 25 steps ahead. You don't deserve 25 steps ahead. You deserve the step right there in front of you. Why? Because that's what God does. Why? Because he's so good. She gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah didn't look at it and say, well, only if you pay for the fare to get there. He said, I'm out of money now. I spent all that money trying to go to Tarsus, and I lost it. So, you know, whatever. Here's the last and final thing that I would teach you straight out of the Word of God, and that is commit your ways to God. This is a big deal. It sounds so preachy, but it's real simple. It looks something like this. God, these are your kids. God, this is your job. I don't even like it, but I commit it to you. And I know that in the midst of this, you're going to do miracles. I commit. Show me on a daily basis. It belongs to you. I commit it to you. And on, in that, commit your ways. Look at look Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will, say it out loud. Succeed. Try it one more time. And your plans will succeed. Why? Because you committed. It's not my plans, it's his plans. See, it turns from this is what I want to do to God, what I want, what I have, what is mine, what I think is mine, I commit it to you. And Lord, whatever you want to do with it. And what God does is he takes your plans and he makes them succeed when you and I commit them to him. I love this about who God is. Even if you mess it up, when it's committed to God, even if you mess it up, God will make it right. He'll fix it. He'll make it. He'll fix it. Even if you mess it up. One old preacher said it like this. God asks for a ten, and all you have is five. You give your five, you commit that five to God, and God will take an, he'll find another five to make it a ten. That's what God does. Why? Because you and I are his sons and daughters. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Commit whatever you do. Commit your plans to him. Lord, it's yours. Have you even stopped sometimes? Lord, how do I raise kids? Or do you, you're the expert because you had some schooling on it. Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, I, com- I, Lord, I commit this house to you. It's yours. Do with what you want. Good, I want you to have a small group at it. No, not that. That's what Jonah did. Mm-mm, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I don't care about Nineveh. <laughs> no, sir. And that's, that's kind of the whole storyline here and knowing the direction. I found myself lost as a pastor. Lord, I, I don't know how we got here. It's not really what I thought. I didn't make any bad decisions on purpose. Sometimes life just throws things at you. And so what you do to get out of being lost is you pull out your compass. And I gave you the five steps in following your compass, if you will. God, I recognize there's a right way and a wrong way. And if I blew it somewhere down the road, just show it to me. I, don't, I want to do the right way. That's when you cry out and you say, Lord, I need your help. You should admit, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm here. You don't understand. On a weekly basis, I, I'd say to God, God, I do not know how to pastor these amazing people. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I admit it. I need help. And that's why God keeps blessing your life and my life, this church, because I've committed you to him. You don't belong to me. You don't belong to this church. We're one church, but we belong to him. You're committed to him. I can't make your marriages work. I can't preach good enough to finally get you to admit that, you're, you, know, that, that, that you need help. Only God can do that when it's his. My plan plus his purpose equals his success or the right path. Would you stand with me all across the room today? You guys have been magnificent. Thanks for letting me share these truths with you. I hope it helps you as much as it's helped me over the years. Transform my life. I can say without, the shadow, without a shadow of a doubt that I'm in step with what God wants for Adam and Jamie's life. You say, how can you say that so confidently? Well, because I've done these five things. I, I'm constantly saying, Lord, it's yours. Change it if you want it. I've told him for years, Lord, if you need me somewhere else, I'll go. 
But I haven't said that because I want to run away from what he has me doing now. I love what I'm doing now. I just want him to know that it's not my plans, it's his plans. For many of the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. I want your purposes, Lord, because that will prevail. That will cause a church to be life-giving and explosive and helpful to the hurting world around them. God, what do you want? I don't make all these plans and then try to fit God into my plans. This is the backdrop of failure. I have this plan, and God, I want you to bless it. I'm going to marry her whether you want me to or not. I want you to bless it. He said, I don't understand why it didn't work. Well, because you tried to make him, force him into your plans. No, no, Lord, this is my plan, but I want your purpose. What do you want? My plan, your purpose, right direction. I want you to bow your heads with me across the room today. Father, I pray for every man and woman in Church on the Hill, those who couldn't be here this morning or watching the podcast, Lord God, watching the live stream, those that are here with us live. God, I ask you right now, we want your direction. But I want to look up. We don't want to look up and be lost. And Lord, we admit, Lord God, we don't know what we're doing in some areas. With every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, be, be, be a man and woman of God right now. If you don't know what you're doing in an area, and we all, everybody, including me, have areas that we just don't know what to do. We're having to make decisions that we're not sure which way that we should decide. I want you right now to admit that to God. That's, your, that's for some of you your starting point. You love God. You're doing your best. But you, but you got to come off of that pride a little bit and say, God, I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. And I need you to ask him. Say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I don't know what to do. Maybe you don't know how to keep this marriage together. Then you need to admit that. Maybe you're not sure what to do about the financial difficulty. You just need to admit that. Maybe you, you've got these estranged kids, sir, and they didn't even text you or call you yet for Father's Day. You admit, say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Back in the day, I was on the wrong path, and, 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 and it, effect, it affected them. So you understand that because of Jonah being in the wrong place, it affected everyone on that boat? You and I have things we're still cleaning up from back in the day when we were in the wrong spot. I don't know how to make doing the wrong thing. you got to admit that. Lord, I need your help. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to make this move. I don't know what to do about this, God. And then commit your ways. But God, my ways are your ways. Whatever you want. I commit my plan. Would you do that for just a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, as the men and women of God who love you with all their heart, Lord, those men and women who showed up here today say, look, I'm going, I'm going up there with the other believers. I'm going to worship my God. I'm going to stand next to people of different colors, different ages, different backdrops, and I'm going to worship the Lord my God. Lord, they've done that in purity of heart. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name. That as they cry out to you for direction, Lord, what do you want in this? How do I do this? How do they take their plans? They add your purpose, Lord God. And your purpose expands out the whole situation to a right direction. Father, I pray right now, clarity of direction in Jesus' name. I pray for light bulbs to go off in their heart and their mind. I pray for the person they need to go talk to, to come to their attention right now. To the thing that they need to do, to the humility that they need to walk there in. To the thing they need to go back and sell. To the backing up to three streets back where they passed it. To the place of redirecting and finding themselves on the map and heading in the right north direction. Lord, I pray that revelation start happening right now. Supernaturally. Supernaturally, Lord. Beyond what they could think or imagine. In Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're in this place today, and, you got, and you, if you were honest, you'd say, Pastor, i, I got to tell the truth. I'm not a Christian. Maybe you used to be a Christian, and, and, and you walked away from God years ago. Life happened. And maybe you would say, Pastor, i got to be honest. I'm not on the right path right now. I, I'm, I might could be considered lost. Friend, I've been there. I've been there. Why do you think I'm so passionate when I communicate? Because I don't want anybody to be there. I don't want you to lose your life. The Bible says, broad is the road that leads to death. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if one way to kind of qualify that is ask yourself this. If I die today, would I go to heaven? If I stood before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would he embrace me and say, oh, I love you. Oh, you're mine. Or would he look at me and say, why didn't you listen to that preacher? Why'd you push me away every time I dealt with you when you were sitting in the club? And I tugged at your heart and told you how much I loved you. Why'd you push me away every time I had mom text you? Why'd you push me away? Friend, don't push him away today. If you're away from God, I've got such good news. (laughs) Such good news. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to give money to the church. Salvation is free. You become a son and daughter right here. 
by being honest with yourself and asking Jesus into your life. This is a private, deep, private decision. I want you to contemplate it for another five or six seconds. Are you ready to change? Are you tired of living and being on the path that you're on? Are you ready to stop feeling lost and be enlightened with the truth of who God is? Are you ready to confess Him as Lord and Savior? Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if I'm speaking to you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God. I'm not a Christian, but I want to be. I want to come to God. Then I'd like like you to let me pray for you. I'm not going to call you forward again. This is a private decision. But you need to acknowledge that between God and you and let me be a part of it so I know who I'm praying with. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time for a change. I'm ready to make Jesus my Lord. Would you just slip your hand up where I can see it? No one's looking around. It's just me and you. And God's responding. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for your honesty. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I don't want to live like this anymore. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. Okay. Yep. Thank you, sweet love. Put it back down. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing. Real people. Real people. Anybody else? Two more seconds. I don't want to push you or belabor the point, but I just don't want to miss you either. Make sure I say, okay, thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. Amen. Now, if you put your hands down, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Nobody knows it's you. It's just you and God having a deep, intimate decision-making process right here. I want to lead you in a prayer connecting you and God together, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of making your life right with Him. Again, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. He's the Christ. He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what we're about to do. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands and calling upon God to come into their lives. Say it like to say, Jesus, today I surrender my life, my wants, and my desires. And I ask you now to be my Lord and Savior. Wash me clean of all of my sin. Wash me clean of all of my rebellion. I acknowledge then I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just another second. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. They prayed that prayer. They meant it from the depths of their heart. I pray right now they would feel your peace. Like it's all going to be okay. That they would sense that they're, it's all right, that you got them. And that all the thoughts in their mind, well, what about this? And are you going to go, you're going to get rid, rid, rid of that? Are you going to go stop doing this? God, I pray that that would all be at peace right now. And that, Lord God, they would recognize that you are going to grow them one day at a time. But they're your son. They're your daughter right now. They're yours. And, Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, that they will sense the joy, as the Bible calls it, of their salvation. The joy of saying, you know what? I'm not on the path to destruction anymore. I'm, I'm pointing in a different direction. I'm on a different road. Father, I thank you right now from being lost to being found is such a joy. And I pray that joy would overtake them now in their heart and they would know that that's it. They don't have to perform. You did it all on a cross and they could just receive it. We thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.